The Morning Show with Katie Halper and Michael G. Haskins. We're in our spring membership drive, the second week of our spring membership drive. And uh, those of you listening right now, uh, we have uh, uh, certainly an interesting segment coming up, a rare treat for you. And we hope that you will pledge your support to WBAI. Do what you can, whatever that is, whatever is comfortable for you whether it's becoming a BAI buddy uh, that's a sustaining member or making a larger contribution, that's fine. Do what you can to support this program and this radio station. So we're so happy today uh, to be talking with and hearing from Letty Cotton Pogerman, who is an author, activist, and speaker. She is a founding editor and writer for Ms. Magazine. She's written 11 books. Um, including the novel that we're going to be talking to her about today. And among her other books are two memoirs, Getting Over Getting Older and Deborah, Golda, and Me, Being Female and Jewish in America. And the novel Three Daughters, uh, as well as the feminist classic How to Make It in a Man's World. She also wrote a very interesting guidebook in 2013 called How to Be a Friend to a Friend Who's Sick. And she's the editor of the anthology Stories for Free Children and was the consulting editor on Free to Be You and Me. Remember that? Free mm -hmm. to Be You and Me? Mm -hmm. um, which is Marlo, uh, and Free to Be a Family, Marlo Thomas's groundbreaking children's books, uh, record and television specials. And her writing has been published in places like the New York Times, Washington Post, Boston Globe, LA Times, Travel and Leisure, Good Housekeeping, all over the place, basically. She used to uh, write a, a column called The Working Woman in the Ladies' Home Journal. And she has served for two terms. She served as the president of the Authors Guild and two terms as chair of the Board of Americans for Peace Now, an advocacy organization which promotes a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Um, and we, before we start talking with Letty and go to the interview, I just want to let everyone know that there are two events that you can attend where Letty Khan-Pogrebin will be speaking, and I know you're going to want to after hearing this interview and the excerpt from the new novel. Um, one is on June, f one is on May 20th at Book Culture on the Upper West Side. That's Book Culture on the Upper West Side on May 20th at 7 p.m. And one is on June 1st. And that is a conversation with Marsha Ann Gillespie, the former editor of Ms. and Essence Magazines, at the CUNY Graduate Center, which is 365 Fifth Avenue, again, and that's at 630. And you can find all of this information about her events and her books and her bio at LettyCottonPogerbin.com. That's L-E-T-T-Y-C-O-T-T-I-N-P-O-G-R-E-B-I-N.com. Yes, E B I N. E B okay. E B I N. Yeah. Poker bin. All right. Uh, so the 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 book that we're talking about, Katie's talking about right now, is single Jewish male seeking soulmate. It's a it, great book. It is a a where where the fundraising vehicle for us this morning, and I'm right. excited to hear your conversation uh, with Letty. It's a seventy five dollar contribution to W B A I. We'll send that to you as a thank you gift for supporting the morning show, for supporting this station. Right, and you get it before anyone else because other people have to pre-order it. Not you guys. You get it right away. Not you guys. All right. Thank you so much. So, um, Katie, let's uh, just jump right into yeah, your conversation. Start, yeah. And the first thing I wanted to know, Letty, was how you came up with the idea for, the, for this book. 
The protagonist in this book is a man who is the child of Holocaust survivors, and he promises his mother when he's a bar mitzvah, about to approach his bar mitzvah, and then again on her deathbed, that he's going to have Jewish children. And then he falls in love with an African-American talk show host. It actually started in my head many, many years ago when one of my daughters fell in love with a Catholic man, and it suddenly struck me that I could end up with non-Jewish grandchildren because he was a fairly serious Catholic, and it would have been a toss-up as to whether they raised the children Catholic or not. And I suddenly discovered out of the core of my being that I was really deeply dismayed that I had come out of the post-Holocaust generation. I remember the Second World War. My my mother was an immigrant. My father had been born here in 1900, but you know, lots of the relatives stayed back, and the, a third of our family died, and I didn't want to have my branch of the family tree dead end with my grandchildren. So that stuck in my head, because I'm a really tolerant liberal person, and this was like an absolute red line for me. Not that I could control what my daughter did or who she loved. So it percolated around in my head, and one of the themes in single Jewish male-seeking soulmate is... Do you keep a promise to your mother or your people, wherever you feel that link, that strong connection? Do you keep a promise for the sake of the continuity of your people, or do you follow your heart? Someone had asked you before your daughter started dating a Catholic man whether you would have minded her marrying someone who wasn't Jewish. Would you have predicted that you would have been upset? I never would have predicted that I would be upset because I have all sorts of people in my friendship circles among my colleagues. I've never thought twice about it. I'm not a prejudiced person. It was right there when it came to grandchildren and would the Jewish people survive. And then it became, well, what does it mean for Jews to survive? What kind of Jews? What kind of Judaism? And that is a through line in the book where Zach, this protagonist, becomes really agonized by what do I care? Why do I have to keep this promise? What does it mean to be a Jew in today's world? What would this child that I might have with this black uh, talk show host who I feel totally in love with, What? how could this child carry on if I'm such a kind of lapsed Jew myself? So millions of Jews are like that. We are very... Um, dedicated to Jewish continuity, but we don't do a lot that's Jewish. And we have all kinds of different opinions about Jewish issues, about Israel. That's what allowed me to get really kind of deep into that knot of Jewish identity. It's funny because for me and my family, our Jewish identity is so internationalist and so multicultural that I always joke, but it's true, that if I brought home a religious Jewish boyfriend, that would freak out my parents way more than if I brought home a secular or casual Muslim Hindu. I mean, right. my mom dated Marion Barry back in the day, before the drugs, obviously. Uh-huh. Oh. They met at some civil rights yeah. meeting. Right. Um, so they, don't, they couldn't care less about that. But it is interesting, because then I do think about, well, what will happen ultimately? Will we all just merge and become one mixed... Right. And for a people that's lasted, you know, 3,500 years and has had some very good moral and ethical precepts to teach the world, 
you and 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 lost so many who died with prayers on their lips. There is a moment of truth where you say, "Am I am I going to be the cause of this particular dried up family line?" I don't know how you felt about it as an internationalist type Jew. If you had been raised, if you raised the way you said, and then you had married someone who wanted to, you to raise your children Catholic. Would that have given you pause, as tolerant as you are? An Orthodox Jew would have also. A very religious person, it would have given me, or still will, because mm-hmm. I'm single, um, <laughs> give me pause. Right. But, mm-hmm. but it is, it's a cultural question, right? What's going to happen to this people? And right. how much of this, I wonder, had Jews just been a small tribe of people, if pogroms hadn't happened and, and the Holocaust hadn't happened, how much would we care about maintaining the tribe? I think some would and some wouldn't. Um, One of the things I do in this book that I so clearly remember writing it and how it just went on and on was to define different kinds of Jews. Because Zach's friend is is a kind of our crowd Jew, very rooted in um, the sort of Germanic first wave of immigrants who all became sort of snooty white shoe law firm founders and bankers and so on. That's the furthest thing from my kind of Jew or Zach's kind of Jew or your kind of Jew. So so Zach, who, who is one particular kind of Jew from a, a very uh, sort of traumatized family, both parents have lived through the Holocaust. His mother was in Auschwitz. His father was disappearing himself in the Polish forests in the, in the resistance. And Zach's best friend comes from the Our Crowd crowd. And, you know, he can trace his ancestors back to the founders of the major New York law firms and banks and so on. So the Germanic Jewish wave of immigration couldn't be more different from the wave of immigration that spawned the post-Holocaust Jews who came. What do we want to last? What does it mean to keep these people alive, you know? Which, which branch of this people? What set of values? I look now at the Jews who are turning Republican. They're not my people. I don't feel this is what I, quote, come from. Um, and they probably look at my politics, especially on Israel, where I am critical and I am anti-Bibi Netanyahu, and they probably say, how could you call yourself a Jew? And how do you criticize? And how dare you break ranks? And how important do you think it is for people to see that APAC is not mm. all Jews? It's very important for Jews who don't agree with APAC to speak out and object to being herded into a one voice kind of uh, mentality. Um, but in all honesty, APAC is well funded and right. the rest of us are sort of scrounging around and other groups just don't have the visibility. Right. All of the complications of Jewish identity are so fascinating to me and they're all between the covers of this book because what does a writer do? You take all of your obsessions and you write them out. It's like therapy on the page. Speaking of therapy on the page, did you work anything out or come to any realizations or did you struggle with anything more than you had anticipated? Yeah, because... Um, though I chose to write through a male protagonist, he, and though I am probably more Jewish in ways of observance than he is, because uh, 
he's a single Jewish male. He didn't, he hasn't got a family. Everybody's dead now, and he has no place where he's expected to turn up at a Seder table or a Shabbat table. I have that, still that very strong link to ritual and tradition. But the sort of soul searching that he went through, I go through that sort of thing all the time. And when people talk about Jewish continuity and the importance of, you know, fulfilling our heritage, I say, well, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Do we really agree on this? And uh, I might not really want to continue that, that rabid kind of anything Israel does is fine with me, Judaism, or that rabid kind of you have to wear a shadow Judaism, you know, or you can't, uh, you know, you can't eat what you want or marry who you want. I think you should be able to marry who you want, but if you have a visceral feeling, as I do, that you want Jewish grandchildren, that's where you hit the wall. So let's say your daughter had been dating a Catholic who was open to raising the kids with both religions. How would you have felt? I'm not sure. I think I probably would have felt okay because I still sort of was spawned by the notion that um, Jewish identity passes through the mother and my daughter would be Jewish. And so if this guy was amenable to raising the children um, with Jewish tradition and practices, I wouldn't think I would have had a problem with it. And what kind of messages did your parents transmit to you about the tribe or continuity or interfaith marriage? Was that even something that you considered as a possibility for yourself? Went to Brandeis University and ended up dating only athletes and non-Jews who, or athletes who were non-Jews and other kinds of non-Jews. And I dated many black men when I was single. And when you dated black men, did you have discussion about raising Jewish kids? or No, I never had. You know, I never really got that close to being married until I got married. I wasn't that interested in getting married until I met my husband. So I didn't face that for myself as an issue. Skin color does not register, but heritage for me, stuff that people died for, for me, that still carries a lot of weight. So if you've got an Ethiopian Jew or a Jew from an Arab country, race doesn't matter. But faith in peoplehood, that's different. And so it could have happened at any point, but I thought, you know, I control how, how the children will be raised. I guess I kept that in my mind. In our family, um, a cousin of mine, a very close cousin of mine, who was seven years older than I, married a Filipino woman. And the family was ready to sit shiva but she converted, and that was it. She was welcomed, she was embraced. I mean, there's no doubt that her children, she had three girls, they all looked like Filipinos on the face of it. And then they start, you know, singing uh, Hanukkah, Hanukkah, and you know that they were raised very seriously Jewish. MJ is a very interesting character. Yeah. He was a great character so to write. talk about MJ. MJ is um, Zach's neighbor, in the loft building um, down in the East Village or Soho, whatever you want to call it. And he's a gay sort of celebrity chef, Texan. And he, he is torpedoing every stereotype you can think of left and right about, about Texans. You know, he's, he's a chef without an ego. He's an upfront, out, out there gay before gay rights was comfortable to talk about. And he's very straightforward. 
pardon the straight, but straightforward. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. With Zach, and he really does hold Zach's feet to the fire when it comes to like, <clears throat> you know, what do you mean your kid has to this and has to that? You don't do that. You don't do that. So then when it comes time for Zach's daughter, who she has, he has a daughter from his first marriage to a Jewish woman, um, to have a bat mitzvah, he can't come. He, MJ, would love to come, but he can't. But he does ask what goes on at a bat mitzvah, and Zach describes it. And, and by the end of the conversation, it's clear that to Zach, this bat mitzvah is a way for his daughter to join the tribe and hammer a nail in Hitler's coffin. Right. Which is what the mother says, Which is right? what the mother's view was. Of, of marrying with it. Every uh, time a Jew survives. It's or, a nail in, in Hitler's car. Right. right. Every time a Jew gets the Nobel Prize, she right. calls it the Nobel Prize, it's a nail in Hitler's coffin. Every time you see a little child, it's, we survived, we made it, up yours kind of thing. So for MJ, it's like, you know, this doesn't sound like you're celebrating your daughter. It sounds like it's um, a kind of a punishing Hitler thing. And so that when you drill down into even even something that looks as simply and, and directly about being Jewish as a bat mitzvah. It's not just about being Jewish, you know, in the in the religious way. It's about it's about so many complicated and layered historic right. uh, reactions. And it's not just celebratory. I mean it's celebratory yeah. but there's a dark side. There's to a it, dark right? side. How much does responding to something that Hitler tried to do empower Hitler's Yeah, well there is a discussion in the book um, when Zach is looking for guidance and he goes to several people he thinks will be will help him think it through and um, one of them is, is his old rabbi from the Bronx and the rabbi is so angry that that he is citing any re- reference to Hitler as a reason to be Jewish yeah, and that, again, I, I hear it all the time. The Holocaust gets brought into everything, including the last Israeli election, right? I mean, Bibi is, is mentioning the Holocaust with uh, regularity in response to the Iran deal. And why did you decide to make the protagonist male? I did it really as a, initially as an exercise in writerly displacement um, because I, I felt... I might free myself up. I'm a feminist. I'm very, very aware of the, still the limitations on women, the expectations of what a woman's going to think and what she's going to be like and what she's going to be incapable of. And I thought, I'm going to start with a man, give him a head start in terms of what he can do and how he's perceived, and see how that feels and see how that develops. What do you say when people say to you, which I assume they do because they say it to me all the time, oh, feminism served its purpose. We don't need feminism anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pretty much say things like, oh, yeah, listen to Rush Limbaugh. Or, oh, yeah, when was the last time anybody threatened your right to contraception? Like a year ago, six months ago. Uh, the work of feminism is nowhere near done. And interestingly enough, on a parallel level, you have people saying, well, racism's over because we have a black mm-hmm. president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's really an inability by, by people to see the nuance that there always, there always can be a Sheryl Sandberg that allows you to say, right. you know, we don't need feminism, and a Barack Obama that allows you to say, yeah, we don't need fights against right. racism. And then uh, you get, um, you know, Staten Island, or you get 
people who have, who have a, a grudge against women and blow up blow, will blow up an entire classroom. In the novel, you have the protagonist meet his black girlfriend at a meeting that's convened um, to kind of improve black Jewish relations. Mm -hmm. How much of that was based on a, a real phenomenon, and what was that it? That was based on the Black Jewish Coalition of New York was formed by several male leaders in response to the uh, tensions around Town and then this ad about Jesse Jackson. It was after Jesse Jackson had said Town, and it was when um, there was a big ad in the New York Times saying Jews would have to be crazy to vote for J Jackson, and there was all this stuff about Minister Farrakhan and how Jews were asking blacks to apologize for their militants, and blacks were not asking Jews to apologize for Kahana. Kahana was an extreme, a militant, extreme right-wing Jew, a rabbi, who made Aliyah, that is, emigrated to Israel, and who um, preached transfer of Arabs, to a kind of ethnic cleansing of Arabs, which was uh, deemed by the Israeli government at that time and the Supreme Court to be illegal. You could not say transfer Arabs. Now, mainstream <laughs> mainstream political parties are saying variations of let's transfer Arabs. So you can see where Israel has come over the course of 20, 25 years. So there was tremendous, um, there were flashpoints all over the place. This was before um, Crown Heights when we began. We, were, we went for about six years before Crown Heights and that really hit the fan. Everything is imagined but informed by certain people who meant a lot to me. I was in a black Jewish dialogue group, um, a male-female one in New York that was started by um, David Dinkins and labor leaders and so on. And I met a wonderful, um, smart, tough-talking, wise woman named Harriet Michelle, who was the head of the Urban League at the time. And she was in that same group with me, and we rolled our eyes at each other because the men were so posturing, you know? They were like peacocks with each other, and they all had to kind of negotiate their masculinity in ways that we saw as very transparent. And so one day after one of the Black Jewish Dialogue meetings, we said to each other, why don't we start one, and why don't we just do it with women? And we started a group together that lasted for 10 years. We were first, when we first convened, we felt we needed a facilitator, and we thought she shouldn't be black or Jewish, so we asked Donna Shalala, who was, is neither, but could pass for both. <laughs> she was president of Hunter at the time, Hunter College, so she was right here in New York with all of us, and she was our facilitator for, I guess, maybe the first six or eight meetings. And then we were off on our own, and in the 10 years that we met, pretty much every month, um, I learned about the perception of the world through black women's eyes in a way I never, ever would have before or since. What's in this Cleo character in my book is much of what I took away. It's my takeaway from, it's a she's a composite of the women I, I know in this, knew in this group. And it was totally plausible to me that a black a woman such as this character Cleo, who is a talk show host on what you could think of as WLIB, Black Radio, um, or WBAI, could be, 
um, would meet an ACLU lawyer who was there having been invited because he was also the chair of the board of a Holocaust Family Association. And that's who these two characters are. But they are also plain, ordinary, young, um, intelligent, funny people who were attracted to one another and who have a great love affair. I remember hearing about the Jesse Jackson thing happening, the Jaime Town thing, and I was a kid. And I just thought it was a funny word because I'd never heard it before. How did you respond to that? It didn't offend me. It wasn't a big deal to me. This just was in the category of uh, say whatever. <laughs> but there were Jews who really felt that this made them uncomfortable. It was painful to, to enough Jews that it had to be taken seriously. I was much angrier at the man who, who uh, masterminded the placement of a full-page ad um, that excoriated Jesse Jackson. For people to just throw down the gauntlet and say Jews had to be crazy to vote for him as if he was just a wild man and not a, not a viable candidate and not a respectable American, all of that I thought was extremely uh, wrongheaded. I remember my parents flipping a coin during the primary. One was going to vote for Dukakis and one was going to vote for Jesse Jackson. <laughs> um, I still think Dukakis came the closest to being our first Jewish president, even though he's Greek. He's so Jewish. Um, well, Bill Clinton was Jewish in some ways, yes, too. Yes, right. And black, although then Toni Morrison, who named him that, yeah. the first black president, then endorsed Obama over Hillary, so I kind of feel like maybe he lost that yeah, status. Yeah, exactly. How has your definition of being a Jew changed over the years? I, I was so um, alienated from Judaism in the heyday of my feminism when I first really made the connection and did a gender analysis on oppression in um, in the late 60s, early 70s, and that took over my identity. And I had been so uh, estranged as a result of the fact that though I was a very well-educated kid Jewishly, I grew up in Jamaica, I went to a... Queens. In Queens, Jamaica, gender. Queens, right. I went to synagogue, I was sent to Hebrew school, I was one of the first girls to be bat mitzvah in conservative Judaism. And then when my mother died in 1955. And how old were you at this point? I was 15. The first day of the Shiva, when every, all the mourners and friends come to do the Kaddish, which is the mourner's prayer. And in, under Jewish law, you have to have 10, in those days, 10 men to make a quorum before you could have that prayer. And my father wouldn't let me count in the quorum. Now, back then, I know that it was you know, nobody even dreamed of counting a woman in the minion. But my father already made so many exceptions for his own needs, like to smoke on Shabbat, like to drive on Shabbat to the synagogue. He would park three blocks away, walk without, as if he had walked there, or put his cigarette out three blocks away. So this was a man who made exceptions that suited himself, but when it came time to allow me to count in my own house for my own mother, he said it's forbidden. And that was really when I walked away from organized Judaism. So uh, as soon as feminist Judaism made waves and I became conscious of it, I started to work my way back because I felt it was really foolish and wrong of me to have turned my back on a religion as if it had my father's imprimatur on it, as if it only belonged to men, as if I had to give up on it. I wanted what I wanted from my faith tradition, and I should have claimed it. 
I should not have abandoned it. And so I sort of came back a, a little by little. And what about your husband? Did he go on this parallel journey with his Judaism or Jewishness, I should say? My husband was born, born into a much further left household than my own. In, in his household, Truman was far right. Norman Thomas wasn't even like a hero. Um, Vito Marcantonio was a hero. What's his name, who was this great singer with the bass voice? Paul Robeson. Paul Robeson was a hero. That was where, how my, my husband was raised. He was never bar mitzvah, he was never sent to Hebrew school. He never had a Shabbat dinner. He doesn't come to synagogue with me when I go. Uh -huh. I go. And, you're, and I'm, you know, I don't go, quote, religiously, but when I go, it means something to me to be able to go. And, and um, you know, I would never think to say, you have to come. Never. So for him, you know, as long as you're a moral person, an ethical person, and you care about the underdog, you're Jewish. That's how I, that's my Jewishness. <laughs> yeah. Did he respond differently to your daughter dating a Catholic person? Totally differently. Thought I was out of my mind. What did he say? He said, why, why did you do that stupid thing? Why are you saying this? Yeah, he was very surprised that that was me. And I was too. I couldn't believe my own strong feelings. Right. It was totally gut. Do you remember a time when Jews weren't considered white? Yeah, of course. I remember a time when Jews were, were the third race. You know, it was blacks, whites, and Jews. And we were sort of tan <laughs> or off-white. Um, but we were able to pass between a permeable membrane because of our outgroupness. This is WBAI's Morning Show with Katie Halper and Michael G. Haskins. Wow, Katie. I mean, that is sounding really good. I'm sorry we had to break out of that there. What were we just listening we to, We were Katie? just listening to a discussion I had, an interview I did with Letty Cotton Pogrebin, legendary author, feminist, founding editor of Ms. Magazine, um, and the author of her latest novel, Single Jewish Male Seeking Soulmate. Again, Single Jewish Male Seeking Soulmate. It's a great book. I've read it. I'm not just saying that. I mean, I'd have to say it was a great book, even if I didn't love it, because that's the nature of what you're doing when you're encouraging people to donate for a gift. But I'm going to say this, that I swear on whatever thing it is that I believe in. I'm not sure right now. Haven't never been sure. But this is a really great book. I loved it. It's a page turner. I don't read a lot of fiction because I don't have time, and I definitely couldn't put this down. Um, it didn't feel like I, you know, I had to read it at all. I totally wanted to read it, and I had to actually, I fell behind in other stuff because I couldn't put it down. And it's totally relatable. It's about a Jewish, nice Jewish boy, ACLU lawyer, who wants to honor his parents' wishes that he continue the Jewish line and doesn't know what to do when he winds up falling in love with an African-American woman who has her own kind of religious cultural tradition that she doesn't want to mm -hmm. give up either um and that was letty talking and the last thing yeah the, the last was, uh, segment let's uh, just let's backdrop and sure. just talk back uh, uh talk a bit about what she was was just talking which about. part about the jews being white yes or the, yes yeah. yes so we, we're gonna have to come back right. it's just really interesting but i asked her kind of about what it was like when Jews were not considered white. And she, because one of the things she talks about that we'll get to is the black Jewish relations, like not not just, you know, personal romantic mm -hmm, ones, mm -hmm. which then of course create bluish people. Lots mm -hmm. of my best friends are bluish. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, so? Jutino, mm -hmm. okay. Jubin, 
Jamaican. That could actually wow. ju- Jamaican and Jamaican. Um, and then uh, pizza bagel, of course, is Italian Jewish. Uh, uh, pizza bagel. Yeah. Okay. I like that term. All right. All right. Um, but she's talking about how she remembers in the '60s when all of a sudden the black movement i mean varied as that was and certainly wasn't a monolith but the i guess the black parts of the black movement that had been working in solidarity with jews mm-hmm. was like we actually don't need jews at the forefront at least of the movement and letty said that she didn't get it at first but she totally gets it now and she and she got it basically you know and they didn't use the word that but then but she understood it as the problem with the jewish kind of presence was the white privilege mm-hmm. element and how that would kind of overwhelm things mm-hmm. and put them front and center of a movement that yeah there's solidarity but there also is difference right right and there's overlap like it's a venn diagram but there's lots of difference and you know sometimes you'll hear this drives me crazy when you hear the jews say we were slaves too mm-hmm. it's like yes met way 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 longer mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. like uh it's i think it's a relevant issue and i think actually and letty talked about this there is part of the black jewish solidarity to some extent probably comes from some of the liberation theories that come from the old testament the story of of you know the exodus exodus, right right. um but you know it's historically speaking there's a big difference in terms of uh where they were slaves too right Mm, i mean jews weren't brought here to the united states as slaves obviously Mm, that's right um so all of these things are talked about and fantastic conversation that you had, Katie, with uh, Letty uh, Cotton Pogrebin. But the book that we're offering this morning for a $75 contribution, and the book's not even out. You yeah. have to pre-order to get it. We have it. We And you can support WBAI for a $75 contribution. If you like the stuff and the guests that uh, Katie brings on, then... We need to hear from you. It's just that simple. Yeah. It's 212-209-2950. Just ask for Single Jewish Male Seeking Soulmate. It's by Letty Cotton Pogrebin. Just ask for Single Jewish Male. They'll know exactly what They won't what that set is. you up with a single Jewish male. They won't get no, confused. Although if you would like that. to do that, I understand. But I'll give you another number to call. <laughs> Not sure what it is, but I'll look for it. Look for it. And, uh, I believe. Is we're ju- that, exactly. It's uh, 7.50, and of course, we have about uh, 10 minutes to go before the end of the program. Democracy Now! is coming up at 8 o'clock, but we need your help and support right now yes. to continue broadcasting, con- to continue the work that we've done on the morning show, to continue having the access to guests like this. I bet you, I would bet you that you've never heard before on radio. I don't think you right. have. I certainly have, haven't heard uh, what Letty said about, well, you know, the question that you asked, Letty, well, when did uh, Jews right, become white? I, so I white, don't think yeah. I've ever heard it on right. BAI and uh, elsewhere. If you right. haven't and you appreciate that, you want to support that, then it's up to you. Don't wait on your neighbor to do it. You, it's up to you to do that right now. 212-209-2950. Single Jewish male seeking soulmate, a $75 contribution. Come on, folks, let's do this. It's only going to take yeah. four minutes to do it, and this is it's your responsibility to support and, WBAI. And also, Letty Cotton-Bogerman, if you don't know her, and a lot of you do, I'm sure, but she's a huge figure in the uh, Jewish-Palestinian dialogue movement in Peace Now. Um, 
She's really dedicated to working on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. She's incredibly dedicated to feminism, and that I thought was a fascinating part where she talks about how her father would, the reason she, she kind of left Judaism. I, I mean, Letty's much more religious than I am, and she's not religious, but she does ritual, right? She mm -hmm. believed in rituals. Mm -hmm. Judaism, and then in the rest of the interview, which we'll play on another episode, um, she talks about how she comes back to it. But as she was saying in this interview, she left it partially because her own father wouldn't let her count as the quorum mm. at her mother's uh, shiva, which mm -hmm. is the what you do when someone dies. Oh, so when okay. she was 15 years old, her mother died, and she couldn't count as the quorum, which is the m minimum number of people you need to start the prayer. Um, and her father wouldn't let her because women didn't do that. But at the same time, her father would drive to synagogue, All and you're not allowed to do that, right? Him. Exactly. Yeah. He would park three blocks away and walk the rest of the way, <laughs> so it would look like because you're not allowed to right. uh, drive operating, yeah, on uh, on Shabbat or mm -hmm. Sabbath. Mm -hmm. um, and that we see, that's a, such a funny phenomenon because that just transcends all religions, right? And customs, people cheating and then judging other people for mm, not being good. Really ex judging. Yeah. Don't Christians, like Jews, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is interesting because uh, one of the things I was talking about with her was, I again, I find it more Jewish to like not date a Jew almost than mm. to date a Jew. Mm. Or at least I find it an all contradictory for me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to date someone who's not Jewish especially if it's someone who comes from a background that's you know somewhat disenfranchised on some level right, right? Mm -hmm. that's not like I'm one of these annoying people who goes around with a fetish for people who are other or anything <laughs> trust me I know that phenomenon very well that only happens though if you don't really know people like that when you're growing up in mm -hmm. my opinion mm -hmm. um, or you're like trying to to say like "f you, dad" or "mom" or whatever, and mm -hmm. that's never good. You never want to you never want to be romantically part of someone's like revenge plan. No, oh no, never a good thing. Not good. Not um, good. but it is true. Like I, I was talking about this with Letty. I don't know what's going to happen because Jews are a small population, and I feel so weird talking about it because I almost feel like Hitlerian when I say it, hmm. like eugenicist or something. Mm -hmm. But what does happen? And it's, a part of me wants everyone to just enter everything mm -hmm. and who cares we'll all be one right. mix and that would be great but i also feel like well that's if that doesn't happen what then where are we yeah yeah, yeah. and it's not i mean i never even thought of and what what would raising my kids jewish look like also mm -hmm. because i'm not religious i mean mm -hmm. i know what my version of judaism is mm -hmm. which is jewishness not even judaism which is like a certain radical tradition very like social justice -y and humanist but not religious and in fact, I didn't used to identify as Jewish until I left New York City, went to college. People either thought I was, what's funny is people either think I'm Latina or Jewish. Mm -hmm. And a big reason that I do now actively identify as Jewish is because of things like APAC mm -hmm. and being mm -hmm. tired of mm -hmm. them getting to say that they're speaking in my name, yeah. which they're so not. not right? Hear, hear. Um, well, Katie, uh, I mean, it, it really is an amazing conversation uh, that you had with and again, I just want to let listeners know that we are offering this book, her brand new book, Single Jewish Male Seeking Soulmate, a $75 contribution to WBAI. Where else are you going to hear any of these insights? And I'm sure you haven't heard it in a, quite some time, if at all, here on WBAI. Some of the things that Katie Halper is, is, is saying right now, discussing her own uh, personal feelings, her own personal transformations, and certainly uh, Letty Cox. 
gotten pogrovings uh, going over the span of her life. The number to call is 212-209-2950. 212-209-2950. seventy will send that as a thank you gift to you for supporting the morning show on WBAI. Folks, this is a commercial-free station, a listener-sponsored community radio station. If you're not one of the tried-and-true listeners of WBAI and you're you're hearing this for the very first time, perhaps you're in a taxi cab, you're mm-hmm. heading out to the area airport, and you say, my God, what is this that I'm listening to? Thank the cab driver. Tip that cab driver handsomely for exposing right. you to this. This And we've been doing this, by the way. This is not some recent phenomena. This has been on the air. This station has been on the air for 55 years and counting, thanks to listeners just like you. I want to just share one other thing, Katie, before we uh, just start to wrap up. In terms of, of a community and a community and listener sponsorship and access to information, the Orange... And this is Orange, New Jersey Board of Education terminated Marilyn Zaninga at a school board meeting on Tuesday night. Marilyn is the Orange, New Jersey school teacher whose students wrote letters mm. to imprisoned activist right. Mia Abu-Jamal. Continuing the fight for justice for Marilyn and the struggle for academic freedom will be discussed at the People's Organization for Progress tonight, Thursday, May 14th, 6.30 p.m. at the Abyssinian Baptist Church, 224 West Kinney Street in Newark, New Jersey. And all are invited. And you see, that kind of thing, having, again, the access to information, talking to activists, you wouldn't have heard about it, but you hear about it here on WBAI because we're commercially free. We don't have to bow down to any commercial right. interest, corporate, to, right. to any corporate interest to say, well, we can't talk about Mumia Abu-Jamal. Right, right. We can do it because we're sponsored right. by you, the listeners. And he's back in the hospital. Yeah. We'll talk yeah. about that more later. Yeah, yeah, we will. And if um, you want to hear Letty again, she has two yeah. events in New York City. One's on May 20th and one's on June 1st. You can find that information at lettycottonpogerbin.com. And, uh, yeah. LettyCottonPogrebin.com. Jewish, single Jewish male seeking soulmate. Great book. You get to, think about it, $75, that's what? How many fancy drinks is that? Right. That's what? Like, let's say the $12 plus a tip. So what's 75 divided by 13? You can, you can. Someone else call him. You can get a buzz. You get a significant buzz, actually, uh, from that. But, you know, just forego that for uh, one night and support WBAI. Just about out of time. The dance parade. Don't forget the dance parade. Yeah, uh, the 16th. A day after tomorrow, rain or shine, it begins at 1 p.m. and culminates at 3 p.m. in Tompkins Square Park. A lot of dancing going on. We'll see you there. But before you do anything, even before call. Democracy Now!, call. call. You want to be able to hear Democracy Now! Yeah, you better believe it. Mm-hmm. 212-209-2950. 212-209-2950. Katie Halper, Michael G. Haskins on Thursdays, every Thursday at 6 a.m. Single Jewish male seeking soulmate, a $75 contribution. Make your calls now. Support the morning show. Support WBAI. And give to WBAI.org. That's give letter uh, give number two 
WBAI.org. Go to Miscellaneous Thank You Gifts, and that's where you can also donate. And right online. Right, right online. online. All right. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank uh, you. Tomorrow, Mario Murillo in studio. We'll see you then.